You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. It's good to be in church tonight. Amen. Amen. Good to be here in the house of the Lord. And uh, good to see you all here tonight. I'm glad to be here as well. Amen. Thank you for your prayers. Amen. Uh, we have a lot of needs going on right now. And I know Brother Ryan mentioned a couple of them. We pray for them. We'll have some more prayer at the end of service as well. A lot of people going through a lot of things tonight. And uh, thank God he's working, though. Some of those things are just a culmination of life, circumstances happening. Amen. But we had a great time in the Holy Ghost here Sunday. And uh, God did some great things. He, he did some, some deep, deep things, I feel like, in the Holy Ghost, in the Spirit. And uh, a lot of things have broke loose. So you always know when God's moving, watch out. Something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. Something's going to happen to you. And uh, so we thank God he's moving. Amen. I'm thankful to be here tonight. And I am privileged to bring to you the word of the Lord. Uh, thank you for being here. We'll see how long we go tonight. But we need the help of the Holy Ghost. We just stand together with me. Let's just pray right now. I need the strength of the Lord to help me tonight. And uh, specifically for this time, anoint our minds, anoint our hearts. As we come to his word tonight, we want God to have his way. Amen. Are you thankful for the word of the Lord? Do you love the word of the Lord? Amen. Can you pray with me right now? Just lift your voice. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, I love you tonight. I thank you for your spirit. Thank you, God, for the blessing of your spirit that we feel here tonight. Pray, God, over these next few moments, God, that your Holy Ghost would have your way in our hearts and our mind and our life that we can receive from your word, that we can receive from your spirit tonight. Give us the courage, God, to change what we need to change, to trust you, to follow you, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Everybody said in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, amen. Thank you for standing. You could be seated. It's good to have Brother Kendall home, amen. He's been out the last couple months preaching, traveling. We're glad to have him home here tonight. Amen. And I'm going to take your attention tonight to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 14, where we are going to continue. Amen. Part 24, I believe we're on tonight, week 24. And we're coming to a uh, interesting passage of scripture to say the least, one in which is uh, a lot of uh, difficulty, disputed and contentious interpretations. And so tonight will be specifically an exercise, if you will, in the technicalities of interpreting Scripture. Now, this is, uh, I'm going to do my best tonight to not be boring to you, okay? Because I already started out in the technicalities, and you, I can get lost in all of the the sub rabbit trails of this tonight. I love the word of God. Don't you love the word of God? And I love studying the word of God. And I think it's, it's important for us to handle the word of God right. So I hope tonight 
that I can, as, as pastor, I want to accomplish a couple of things tonight. I want to accomplish maybe showing you how do we handle difficult passages. The second thing is uh, that we can leave here tonight with the main takeaway, the big broad takeaway here of what Paul is trying to say, because sometimes we can get lost in the technicalities and we can argue over the discrepancies and the technicalities to the actual result of countering the very intent that the passage is trying to negate. And so we can, in our pride, we can walk away slapping ourselves on the chest or on patting ourselves on the back, so to speak, and feel like, well, bless God, I, I know I'm, I'm right, they're wrong. And we walk away with the wrong spirit that Scripture's not trying to put into our heart. So we come tonight with what I think we always have to approach the text with, but especially in these difficult passages, we come tonight, we need to approach the text, if we can, with humility. Everybody say humility. So we need to approach the text with humility. Understanding, number one, I'm finite. I don't know it all. Heard of somebody tell them you don't know it all. I think there's a verse for that somewhere in Scripture, but it, it, it fails me right now. So, And I've written my notes out very uh, detailed tonight because my mind isn't thinking right, so this is going to keep me on track and help me. But we need to approach this text, if we can, with humility. Now, for those of you that were here last week, you know I told you, I gave you a little hint of where we were going. We're starting tonight on verse 34, chapter number 14. Okay, so I'm going to let Pastor Ryan read verses 34 and 35, and I want us to pay attention here to what he's saying. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. Okay, let's let's slow down here and make sure we're reading what he's saying here, because this is interesting. Now. We're in week 24, so if you are just tuning in or you're just showing up and you haven't been here for the other 23 weeks, you may not understand all of the things that we've covered and talked about, but he's starting here tonight. Let your women keep silence in the churches, okay? All right. And then he says, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, okay? Then he says, but they are commanded commanded to be under obedience. And if you have a King James Version with the, the italics, how many, how many have your Bible here tonight? You have a King James Version we're reading through here and you see the italics. When the italics are in there, what that's letting you know is that the translators did not have let's say verbatim, the word for that, but they surmised that that was the implication, so it was put in there. Commanded to be under obedience as also saith the law. So now Paul's invoking a law here, okay. All right, read on. And if they will learn anything, okay. If, that's an interesting, that's an interesting word. If, okay, they will learn anything, yes, let them ask their husbands at home, okay? For it is a shame for women to speak in the church. All right. 
if they will learn, let them ask their husbands at home. So if, so if they will learn, let them ask their husbands at home. Okay, so learning at home, it is a shame. Now that word shame denotes something sinful, something rebellious. It's a shame for women to speak in the church. Okay. So this is, you under, do you understand now why this is a difficult passage? Why this is contentious? Why this is, um, this is divisive, if you will. So is, is it in the Bible? Okay, so it's in the Bible. So, so we have to pay attention to it. So this is why this is a difficult passage. So we're going to try to navigate this tonight and look at this. Now, what we don't want to do is what we've done just now. And that is open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, read verse 34 and 35 and close the book and then walk and say, walk away and as if we have some, aha. Okay. That's what you don't want to do. And so we have to look at this in context and we have to look at this in whole. And we can't just approach this passage without looking at it in the whole. So what's the context that we're talking about? What's the issue that we've been dealing with? Well, we've been going on this issue of disunity for quite some time. Not only disunity, disorder. Now we come to disorder in the church. And in chapter 12, well, in chapter 11, really, Paul starts talking about their corporate worship and conduct, how there was disorder in the church. We started with chapter 11. Remember, he, in chapter 11, denoted that there should be distinction of gender and sexes in corporate worship. That men ought to worship as men. Women ought to worship as women. We worship, that's part of our worship when we come to God. And we got, we got into that a little bit. He went into the, the uh, talking about how we take communion. He talks here about the disorder and this disruption. He says of them, you're making such a mockery of it. It would be better if you hadn't even gathered together. You're offending people. You're actually achieving the opposite of what the gospel, the gospel's for everyone, and you are making communion available only for a few, and you're putting it on sort of this social tiered status. Then he goes in chapter 12 and he begins talking about the gifts of the Spirit, the giftings of the Spirit, how God gives us the gifts of the Spirit. Obviously, that was something we know. God moves on you, God. And remember, I use the statement, I've said this many times, I repeat it often to myself, God works in spite of us, often not because of us. And so Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit. And he says, look, it's the same Spirit. Don't be in church and the Holy Ghost is moving on you. And, the Holy, and you think that God's only moving on you. Look around. The Holy Ghost is moving on other people. Oh, yeah, even that person that you think is flawed and messed up, you know where they've been, you know all their failures. Yeah, if you'll pay attention, God's moving on them too. So if God will move on them while they're messed up, then don't say that God moving on you means you're perfect. You could be just as much messed up. So he goes through and he talks about the diversity of the gifts. And he's saying, look, you need, you need everyone in the church. Everybody matters. 
So Paul's dealing with this issue where they say, well, I'm better than you. And no, he says, no, no, no. Can the eye say to the hand, I don't need you? Can the foot say, no, I don't need you? No, you all have, God puts us together. He makes us all apart. Amen. So not only should you not be thinking of yourselves better, don't look down on somebody else. And he said, when you do that, you actually, at the end of the day, you're hurting yourself because someone that you would walk by and not pay attention to when you come to church, that's why it's important when you come to church, you, you ought to be kind to everybody. You ought to say hello to everybody. You, you don't have to know everybody's names. You may forget everybody's names every week, but you ought to know a bunch of people's names, right? You ought to stop and say, hey, how are you? I'm glad to see you. What's your name? Yeah, you talk, you know, you check in. Why? Because you never know when you're going to need them in your life. When they're the one, amen, that's going to be down the path and you're going to need them. And if you're not kind to the church, well, when, when you need them, why would they be kind to you outside of the church? Am I boring you already? Am I getting boring already? All right. So, so Paul's dealing with this issue of, of unity and disunity. Chapter 13, he comes and he gets to this place. He said, look, if you'll just love, if you'll just let love have its perfect work, you've achieved, you've already arrived. You've, you've come to where God's trying to bring you. God gives us the gifts of the spirit so he can bring us to that point. So he's dealing with this, this whole issue that he has in this church of disunity, disruption, problems, all this stuff. And he's pro trying to bring, if I could use one word that comes to my mind, this isn't in here, but if I could use one word, Paul is trying to bring peace to a troubled people, a troubled church, if you will. Peace to a troubled church. Amen? So then in chapter 14, he gets real specific about uh, the gifting of tongues and the gifting of interpretation. Paul gets very specific about these, about operations. And while he's talking about this, well, I said it's not in there, but it is in there. Let's go to verse 33. Read verse 33. For God is not the author of confusion. Yes. But of peace. But of peace. There it is. It is in there. Forgive me. I was wrong. I misspoke. God is the author of peace. The point Paul's trying to make is we've got to have peace. And the peace that wasn't existing wasn't existing because God wasn't present. It was because they weren't letting God work. It was because of their pride. It was their humanity that was causing disruption in the church. So here's something that I think we can mark down right now. Whenever there's not peace in the church, it's not God's fault. Whenever there's not peace in the home, it's not God's fault. Whenever there's not peace in the marriage, pick your issue, parenting, whatever else, it's not God's fault. So when you're dealing with issues that have no peace, but yet all parties supposedly have the Holy Ghost, I like it when it gets quiet sometimes. This is funny. All parties involved have the Holy Ghost. All speaking in tongues. That's what Paul's showing up. Look, look at you all. Y'all got the gift of tongues. All got the gift of tongues. But there's no peace. This is not a God problem. This is not a spirit problem. This is a you problem. It's a me problem. 
and we've got to take ownership of that. So it's in this context that it comes that Paul is addressing some things. So I'm going to give you four views. Now, there's a lot more views than this. There's, there's, there could, you could add to the views. But I'm going to give you four basic views on how you interpret chapters, how people generally interpret chapters, chapter 11, verses 34 and 35. I won't probably get all views, but I'm going to talk about four different views. And then we're going to highlight some points of context and make some special notes here. And then we're going to focus on the main takeaway by the help of the Lord. Somebody say, help him, Lord. Thank you. The first view that may be the most common that I'll give to you is that Paul here is specifically speaking against disruption, disruptive speaking of women in the church, specific to Corinth. So there's something specifically happening in the church at Corinth with women speaking out disruptively in the service, causing problems. It's probably one of the most common views. The second is a view here that Paul is, and this is a strong word because there's a lot of different moderations, let's say, probably of each one of these, but that Paul is banning women from speaking at all, including, but not limited to, teaching, preaching, prophesying in the church. The third view is that Paul is not saying this himself, but that verses 34 and 35 are non-Pauline, and that Paul is rather quoting either a Jewish law or something that those in Corinth are uh, demanding of the church themselves. So the third view that I'm giving you tonight says that this isn't even scriptural, that it's not Paul, that he's just quoting something else and then he's responding to it. The fourth view says that Paul, again, didn't say this at all, but that this is... Um, Oh my goodness, the word just escaped me. Uh, and I can't, I can't think of the word, but this is basically uh, what they would call glossing, uh, that this is an in, not interpolation. That's not the word. I, I can't think of the word, but I should have wrote it down. But that this is what they would have called glossing when they had the ancient text, uh, you have a wide margin Bible? Hold, hold it up so everybody can see the wide margin. See, see, he's got a Bible there with a lot of wide margin, okay? Thus, it's called a wide margin Bible. When the Bible was written, ancient text, ancient uh, collections of books, it would have a wide margin like that. And a lot of times when you would get the, in fact, when you would get the original KJV or some of the old, they would have included with them commentaries that would be written in the side, and they would print in that. And so scribes or, or other people would do what they would call glossing, where they would add a note to the side. You're, you're familiar, you're shaking your head. You're familiar with that. They would add a glossing to it. And then 
what what one view believes is that this is a glossing, it doesn't flow, it doesn't follow, and that what happened is through the transcription of Scripture, it just got added in as the text. And so that view says that, well, 34 and 35 aren't scriptural at all. It was just an extra addition on later on. And it's not original, so we don't have to mess with it. There, it's all problem solved. Well, I'm going to warn you against that because I think it's very dangerous when we start taking parts of Scripture and we just start saying, well, you know, this this probably wasn't in there. It doesn't make sense, so this probably wasn't in there. I'm I'm not a, a, a scholar. I'm not, I don't have access to all these things, but as far as I know, as far as I can read, that this passage of Scripture is included in all the ancient manuscripts. So this is not something, we don't have an example of ancient manuscripts without this passage in it. It's always in there. Now, some of them have this portion at the end of the chapter instead of right here, but that's a few, but it's there in every single one. So I think it's dangerous for us to say, no, this was included later. Um, so I think that leads us back to the first three views. Either Paul is speaking against disruptive speech specific to Corinth, or Paul is banning women from speaking at all, or Paul didn't say this himself, or he's quoting from Jewish law. So let's look at the scripture. Now, first of all, I'll say this. I think the first note, we're going we're gonna to make some special notes here, some special highlights. And this is how we're handling this. We have to look, this is a difficult passage of scripture. Now, it's easy for people to take scripture, go to a scripture and stop. If a man did not want to hear women speaking, he would go to this scripture, lift it out of context, and say, aha, women can't speak. But the problem with that is if you read the rest of your Bible, you find, well, not even that. You, can, you don't even have to go outside of this epistle where you find that Paul is not issuing a total ban on women from speaking because clearly in chapter 11, he references them both praying and prophesying in the church. So does the text mean what it says? Well, it means something. And I think it, it says what it means, but we've got to figure out what that is. So when he says, let your women keep silent in the churches, well, he's already qualified for us that he expects women, a woman individually, personally, identifies that in chapter 11, to both pray and prophesy in the church. So what is praying? Well, we know what praying is. When you come to the Lord, what do you do? You open up your mouth. You speak aloud. Paul is not, have, he does not have some expectation that women have to have some kind of private, women can only pray in private, or they can only pray around other women. No, Paul has full expectation for women to pray and to prophesy. Well, what is prophesying? Well, we know it's here. He's, he's talking in this chapter about the gift of prophesying. So we know that he's not banning them. We also know, okay, let's go outside of 1 Corinthians and we go to the book of Acts, chapter 21 and verse 9. And we know that women did speak in the church because there's a man by the name of Philip, the evangelist. We see him in the book of Acts elsewhere. 
And he has, the Bible says he has seven daughters who prophesy. Okay? So he has these women that are used of God, that are speaking speaking out vocally, they're prophesying. Um, as I said, let's see. This portion appears in all the ancient manuscripts, so it wasn't a later edition. There is, okay, now, now let's go to this. He says, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, okay? Where is there a prohibition for women not to speak in the church? And where's there a prohibition based on gender? You will not find a law based on gender anywhere in the Old Testament that says they cannot speak. So when you look in verse 34, the last phrase says, as also saith the law, okay? Well, we know Paul is not referencing a law that prohibits women from speaking. There's no law prohibiting speaking based on gender. Now, what does it say before that? It says, well, says speaking of women, they are commanded to be under, under is the operative word I would say here, obedience. Now, what has Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians? We already talked about it in chapter 11. He talked about creative order, right? We talked about this in chapter 11. He talked about creative order, and he talked about the divine series of creation, and he talked about headship. Man represents God, woman represents Christ, the bride. And we talked about what that, what that typology represents, that that was put into us. Amen. God used that as a teaching mechanism for us, right? We are, as the church collectively, we are the bride of Christ. And there's distinction in roles and distinction in operation. Man came first. That doesn't mean man is better. And, and please don't make me have to go through all this. You can go back in chapter 11 and you can see where we covered all this, the divine series. Different is not better, it's just different. And the different was a way of teaching. Paul in another place says, look, in the church, there is neither bond nor free, Jew nor Greek, nor Gentile, male nor female. So he was saying, we are all level at the foot of the cross. We're all the same. But are we male and female? Yes, we're male and female. And Paul says, so in the church, there's no male and female, meaning there's no advantage or disadvantage in what you are, but you are male and female, and that is representative of the creative order, the divine series that God gives to us. And so men, God, God created man first and then the woman. So man has headship or responsibility, amen, that the woman does not have, that the wife does not have. The wife is the one who, who uh, well, we don't, we don't have to go through all these, but remember when we, when we closed out chapter 11 in this passage, we talked about that. As the bride of Christ, that speaks to us. I, us, as the bride of Christ, we are not responsible for his protection. We are not responsible to provide for him. He is responsible to protect us. He is responsible to provide for us. Praise God. We are though to to be the uh the uh uh together with god um the multiplier of the church the body amen does that make sense the church is 
is the uh, the incubator. The church is the one that births. The, the the we we are the mechanism by which God gives the world uh, uh, their pathway to conversion. We don't convert them. God does that work. But when new souls are saved, they're going to be born into the church, into the church body. They got to be baptized. Somebody's got to baptize them. They've got to be preached to. Somebody's got to preach to them. Amen. They've got to be fed. So, so, so that's the distinction he's talking about. So when we come here to this, the only law in the Old Testament that, that he could be referring to, if he's referring to any, is when he speaks of uh, a, a woman being submitted to her husband in the bonds of matrimony as the husband is the head of the home. That doesn't mean that the woman uh, is, is subservient. That doesn't mean that means that she recognizes that he is God's delegated authority. And he is to lead the home in all righteousness and, and, and holiness. Now, there's, there's, now we deal with humanity and you say, aha, well, men fail all the time. That's true. But the failure doesn't mean that God was, a, was wrong. Okay? So the distinction has to work here. So when he says here, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law, he's, the law part he's referring to is that women are to be submitted to their husbands. Well, where do we see that? Well, we see that in Genesis, right? We see that in 1 Timothy. We see that in Ephesians 5. We see that here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We see this where God is talking about the divine series and the divine order. Same thing. Children are to be obedient to their parents. Why? Because their parents are God's delegated authority over them. This is something that was established by the Ten Commandments. Does that mean that men lord over their wives? Absolutely not. And who's going to hold them accountable? Well, Eve sinned, right, in the garden. She ate the fruit. Who did God come to first? Who ate the fruit first? Who did God go to first? Aha. So don't think that men get a pass. Oh, well, men have, no, 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 no. God's holding him accountable, holding them accountable. And, and, and without getting into that too much, so that, that would be the law, not the law that says that they cannot speak. So there's some people that say, aha, uh -huh, well, this has to be a Jewish law, and I think it is permissible, I, or I think, I, permissible, I think it is plausible. Sorry, my mind, not working the best tonight. I think it's plausible. I, I understand some arguments, and uh, th there was a book that was published uh, by PPH, and I think it has some really good points. And I think it is plausible, uh, but I, I do not think, um, and this is just me, okay? And this is where we have to approach the text with humility. There was a book that was written that said, well, this is, these two verses are Paul responding to a Jewish law, which the Jewish, the Jews did have laws at that day that prohibited women to speak in the church. They did. Uh, for sure. And so they come up with a bunch of arguments why Paul is, is uh, he's giving what the Jewish law would be, and then he's going to refute it. However, 
all of the the Greek linguistics uh, uh, linguist that I've read have said there's nothing in the text that notes here that Paul is quoting somebody else. It really appears as if Paul is saying this himself. So I think we got to be dangerous and we got to be careful because just as I'm not going to say, ah, well, that was added in later, so we don't have to pay attention to it. I don't also want to say, ah, well, that he's just quoting somebody else. Well, that's endless. That's endless because you could just go throughout all the Bible that you don't like and say, well, he's just quoting somebody else. That's just the Bible quoting something else and we don't have to pay attention to it. So unless we have absolute proof or he, he makes a notation or something, I think we ought to be a little cautious there. So I think that Paul is saying this. So we have to ask then what Paul means, because there is no law that prohibits them from speaking. Okay, uh, let's go to verse 35. And if they will learn anything, okay, the word if poses a problem. What do you mean if they will learn? Okay, what do you mean if women will learn? Since when did learning become optional? And when did women get a pass on learning? Does God only want men to learn? Like where else is that in scripture? That's nowhere in scripture. Uh, and, and learning's not optional. No, no, you, you're going to be held accountable for what, for what you know. And then he says, let them ask their husbands at home. Okay, so women can only learn at home, but not in church. So they're just supposed to sit there passively and they're not allowed to think for themselves. And they're just supposed to go home and they have to depend on their husbands. That was a joke. Okay. So there's some problems here for this. If we just take this as how we say, and then he says, for it is, what is it? A shame. Now this, this word is important because Shame is the word that was used in the garden when Eve ate of the fruit and then gave it to Adam and Adam eats of the fruit. The Bible says that their eyes were opened and they were naked and ashamed. That shame was the result of sin. Sin is rebellion against God. So this tells me Paul here is not just talking about speaking in the church, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church, period. If we just took that phrase, and some people do, women aren't allowed to sing in the church, women aren't allowed to speak in the church, women have to sit at the back of the church, women aren't allowed in the church, they, they're relegated to second class. They're relegated to some other thing. Well, if we're reading the book of Corinthians and we're following this, one of the issues Paul is addressing is the church is relegating anybody to a lesser class. But yet Paul says it is a shame. So he's noting here that there's something sinful. There's something rebellious. So this speaking out in church and whatever it is, is done in a sinful and a rebellious manner. So when a woman prays or prophesies, moved on by the Spirit of the Lord, making appeal unto God, that's not a shame because she's trying to connect with God. So, so Paul does, Paul, Paul is not here. He can't be banning, he can't be banning absolute speaking in the church. He can't be banning learning for women only in the church. 
okay? So that doesn't work either. So we have to look at this. And then the final thing I would have you note is that here Paul addresses women as a group. Women as a group. It's collective. Women. If you go to chapter 11, just in this same letter earlier when he's writing, he doesn't address women collectively in a group. He, he addresses them individually. He says in verse 5 of chapter 11, but every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. And he says, for if the woman be not covered, He's speaking here of the woman. He's talking of every individual. He personalized it. He's talking about praying and prophesying of the individual woman. But now he doesn't say, let every woman. He says, let women. It's almost as if this collective group, he's dealing with a, a grouped issue, if you will. And this is, this is, this is, it seems that he's addressing a larger issue not the personhood of a woman and how she individually operates in the church, but a larger issue here that is sinful, that is rebellious. He already invoked the law that talked about divine order. And, okay, so let's, let's, let's look at some main takeaways, and I won't be much longer. I, I got six minutes. Main takeaway, and I would like to quote Dr. Marvin Treese, who is no longer with us. He's a former United Pentecostal Church International pastor in Louisiana. Where did he pastor? Lake Charles? Not Lake Charles. Was it Lake Charles? Thank you. Lake Charles, Louisiana. And he, uh, he, was a, he was a Greek scholar. He was on the committee. I think he helped with the translation, the New International Version, if I'm not mistaken, he was brilliant, and he writes he writes uh, the Literal Word Commentary series. He didn't finish them all, but he got through several, and he writes one on 1 Corinthians. And I'm going to take three quotes from him because I think these three quotes are really, really good. Number one, the first quote from Dr. Treese on page 360, when he, when he comes to this verse, there is much that we do not know concerning this matter. Now, when I began, I said we need to approach the text with humility. So when you start out, I thank God for a man that will be honest enough to say, there's a lot we don't know about this. Second quote on page 361. When he, when he reads verse 35, when he gets to his verse 35, and if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for a woman to speak in the church. And he asks the questions, if, when did learning become optional? They, they can only learn at home, and it's a shame, okay? He says, this is further indication that part of the communication between the Corinthians and Paul is missing. Now, if we don't, don't remember, in chapter 7 and verse 1, he says, now I'm going to write to you of the things, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address the things that you wrote to me about. Well, we don't have the letter that Paul received from them. We only have the letter Paul answered from them. And Dr. Tree says, we don't know all of the details. 
We are missing some of the things that are going on here. So it would bode us well to be a little bit more humble in trying to say that we understand maybe everything that's taking place here. And then his final quote, which I think is absolute, absolute, just wonderful. He says this, and I can't remember what page it's on. I, th I think it's 363 or something. I could be wrong. He said, it should not be questioned whether or not Paul meant what he said. He, he also says that he believes that this is Paul's saying, that we shouldn't dismiss it. And thankfully, I, I came to that conclusion myself before I read him. And I was, I was glad to hear that because I felt like, well, maybe I'm on the right track. Here's somebody that's a lot smarter than me. He said, it should not be questioned whether or not Paul meant what he said. He said this, it is simply a matter of discovering all that he said on the subject. So yes, Paul meant what he said, but let's discover all of what he was actually saying here on the subject. And here's what we know. Here's the main, here, here's, here's, here's what we know. We know about this passage, chapter 14 and the preceding and, and, and further. We know that there are various groups in chapter 14, which also, because of verse 34, women among them were contributing to disorder within the church. First, those that were speaking in tongues are speaking in tongues, a little out of control, out of disorder. It's just a little bit of chaos, competition going on, pride getting in the way. He addresses them. Second, prophets. Everybody was a prophet. Everybody wanted their say. Everybody was vying for whatever. And he addresses them. And then finally, there was a group of women. There was clearly an issue within a gathering of women that Paul is addressing at the church. And from the best thing that we can surmise that Paul is addressing here, Paul is speaking against disruptive speech of specific women in Corinth, and he seems to be dealing with women who are acting outside of their place or their created order by taking upon themselves an authoritative role or headship role specifically over their husbands, domineering in their attitude. Thus, Paul makes reference to Genesis in the creative order, speaking of the law. And there was this domineering attitude for lack of, well, I want to be careful what I say here, but a, a sort of a, a, a contingency of women trying to rise to power, if you will, in the church. Does that make sense? And there's an issue that's going on here that Paul has to address. The whole context is an issue of disorder that's going on. And so to that issue, Paul says, to that specific issue, in context, Paul says, let your women keep silence in the church, for it is not permitted. What's not permitted? It's not permitted for them to speak out, to cause issues, to be seemingly, some say that seems like they are judging vocally 
the interpretations that are being given. Where, what are we talking about? We're talking about the gifts of the Spirit. So imagine a context, if you will. Let me set the scene. And all of a sudden, the Spirit's moving. Somebody speaks out in tongues. Somebody speaks out and gives an interpretation. And somebody says, I ain't going to believe what she said. I ain't going to believe what they said. And all of a sudden, you have a mass confusion going on. And Paul says, look, let them keep silence in the church. And if they have issues, don't be speaking out on these issues. Let them take it to their husband at home. If there's problems in the church, let them go home, let them deal with that. And then they can bring it to the leadership of the church and deal with the problems that are going on. And he says, and here it is, for it is a shame. Well, what's a shame? Is it a shame for a woman to speak? Absolutely not. Is it a shame for a woman to ask? Absolutely not. What would be a shame? It would be a shame for a woman to usurp her God-given role, purpose, operation, and to step into a role that God has not placed her in. Just, does that mean that men are exempt from that? No, just as it would be a shame for a man to neglect his God-given role and to step into a feminine role, just as those things would be wrong. Does that mean that, the, does that mean, okay, 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 pastor, so here you're taking me to this text. Okay, so only women cause issues in the church. Not at all. There's a lot of times where men cause issues in the church. But here, this was an issue that seemed, there seems to be an issue here that is an issue of women in the church. And Paul is addressing that. And Paul speaks rather authoritatively. And he condemns them, not condemns them, but he convicts them. He says, look, you are doing things that are sinful in the church. What are the, he's, he's already talking about it. You're, you're making a mockery of communion. It'd be better if you didn't take it. You're making a mockery of public worship. It'd be better if you didn't gather. And now here you're making a mockery of the gifts of the Spirit and the operation. It's out of disorder and there's no peace. And so he says, stop this. So I would like to make some notable points. First of all, there was an issue here specifically with women in the church. And that doesn't mean that it's not possible at times for men to be the issue in the church. But take heed of your gender and beware that you can cause issues. I don't believe that this is an isolated passage prohibiting women from speaking here. I think that Paul is dealing with a difficult situation in the church and he's addressing it. I also am humble enough to say this. I don't know everything that's going on here. And I think it's foolish for us to use this as a point of contention and division within the church. And it's a shame Maybe it's a shame when we allow that to happen in the church. So if somebody else reads the text differently and interprets it differently, that doesn't mean that we shun them or we treat them bad or we lose respect for them. Amen? You ought to have respect in that sense. So look at what he goes on. And I, I close with this. What? Came the word of God out from you or came it only unto you? Paul rebukes them. He says, what? You're the only one God speaks to? He said, if any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, he calls them on the carpet, if you will. All right, you're a prophet, you're spiritual. All right, he says this, 
He said, let him acknowledge that if you're going to be a prophet of God, if you're going to be, if you're going to be spiritual, then let him acknowledge that the things which I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. So now that's pretty authoritative because Paul was not saying, this is my opinion. He was saying, this is the commandment of the Lord. So I think there's a lot to learn here. First of all, you got, you got to be careful when you get really proud on things, when you get really, okay? Don't you dare say, thus saith the Lord, if, if the Lord didn't say. And be very careful when you step into that, because when you step into that role, you put yourself under the examination. Paul put himself right here. God, if God could have wiped him out in that moment if he wasn't telling them the truth. And Paul says, look, if you're spiritual, if you're a prophet, then you'll acknowledge this is not Paul speaking, this is the Lord speaking. And he put himself in a, in a, in a really vulnerable situation, which you've got to be careful. Uh, you better know that you know that you know that you know when you stand and you say that. Pastors, preachers, men of God, teachers of God, be careful when you stand up and you start doing something authoritative. How many people have been wounded and, and, and marred and, and destroyed in certain sense because a man or woman of God so-called got up and preached something as the word of God and then years down the road they, they recanted or, or backtracked and all of a sudden it lends itself to a whole lot of confusion and a whole lot of mess. So you be careful before you do that. But Paul stands out in this, in this way and says, these are the commandments of the Lord. So be cautious when you do that. And then he says in verse 38, but if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. Hey, let him be ignorant. Do I need to explain that verse? We're good. Wherefore, brethren, read verse 39. Wherefore, brethren. Yes. Covet to prophesy. Ah, here we are again. What's, what's the greatest thing? Well, to edify, covet to prophesy, covet to prophesy. Why? Because prophesying edifies. He already talked about that. So covet. What did he say earlier? Covet the best gifts. Now he's saying covet to prophesy. Why? Because it edifies. That's what he's saying here. Okay. He's wrapping this up. He's not telling us different things to covet. Desire. And that word covet, we, we know we use it sometimes as a, as a, as a negative thing, but this is a Desire. You can covet to good things, to godly things, to goodly things. Covet to prophesy. All right, let on. Go on. And forbid not to speak with tongues. Forbid not to speak with tongues. Now, it was important that Paul made this follow-up because Paul had made this disclaimer. And he said, I, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. Yet when I stand before you, I'd rather speak five words to your understanding and edification than for me to stand and speak in tongues. And so Paul says, look, don't, don't, forbid to, don't forbid to speak in tongues, okay? Now, the gift of tongues, he said, should be done. Well, verse 40, let all things, all things be done decently and in order. That means there's a right way and there's a wrong way, okay? I may not have all, all the definition of good church, but I do have some things I've logged away as bad church. All right? Let it be done decently and in order. And he said here, forbid not to speak in tongues. Forbid not to speak with tongues. Amen. I'm going to tell you, that's why we're Pentecostal. Don't quench the spirit. Let the Holy Ghost move. Don't forbid somebody to speak in tongues. Yep. Paul says, uh, you need to speak in tongues more. 
Yeah, you, you need the Holy Ghost on you. Remember I said it last week? Sometimes you just need to pray through, as the old timers would say. You just need a good praying through. Amen. Well, I don't think I need to explain that. I, 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 do, have, I do have some friends that I think have made some mistakes in their years of pastoring. And I say that humbly and respectfully. And their attempt to evangelize the lost and their attempt to reach many people, they thought that maybe speaking in tongues would scare people away. I think bad church scares people away. But I think true, genuine move of God, it may terrify, terrify their carnal side. But for somebody that's hungry for a move of God, the Spirit of God's not going to come with fear. Amen. It, it, the holiness of God may, may cause some conviction, but there's a difference between conviction and fear. And don't, don't forbid to speak with tongues. Paul's saying here, let the Spirit of God move. Let the Spirit of God move. Let the Spirit of God operate with you. Amen. Amen. Can we stand together? Do you love the Word of God tonight? So we got we to gotta approach the text humbly tonight. I want to understand. I don't, I don't think that we can, I don't think we do any damage to Scripture. Paul meant what he said, but we've got to understand all that he said. we got to understand all that he meant. Okay? It's like, have you ever told your kids to be quiet? Did you mean be quiet for the rest of their life? Maybe, no, it's in context. In context. Right? You're on the phone. You all of a sudden, you turn, be quiet. You know, you know, 40 years later, why won't you talk to me? Well, you told me to be quiet. No, 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 no. That's not what, that's not what we're saying. So don't, so don't, so don't walk in and say, and avoid don't avoid the entirety of the text of scripture to come to one conclusion, look at it all and try to understand, have a little bit of humility and then understand when we don't know, we don't know. Well, maybe there'll be times where we have a little bit of difference in interpretations and things. And I, I wish we didn't. I wish we all agreed on everything all the time, but you know what? <laughs> I haven't got it all figured out. You haven't got it all figured out. He's the only one that's got it all figured out. And we better just keep trusting in him. But I do know this to all those that didn't have it figured out in Corinth, Paul said, you still need one another. So even if you think different than me, I still need you. And you still need me. And so we got to learn how to get along. As a right, just misses Frank.